0: Um, God, we just want to know you in a greater more intimate way. In your name. Amen. I want you to think about for a moment just the chaos and and madness of Christmas. I mean, when you think about the Christmas story, the original Christmas story, the first Christmas story, think about how absolutely insane it must have been. All right, first, an angel appears to a guy named Zechariah. Zechariah is a relative of Mary. He's probably a cousin of some sort. But an angel appears to Zechariah and says, Zechariah, I know you're old, and I know your wife's old, but you're going to have a son, and your son is going to prepare the way for the Messiah. And we know that he's referring to John the Baptist. And Zechariah talks to the angel and goes, "Uh, how can this be? I'm old. And since Zechariah didn't believe, the angel says, well, because you didn't believe, now you're going to be mute until your sons born. Now you can't talk. All right. So now Zechariah's (coughs) a Then the angel appears to Mary and says, Mary, you're going to give birth to God of the universe. And she goes, how can this be? I'm a virgin. But yet she believed. And we see that Mary, as a teenager, is about to give birth to the creator of all things. I think most parents don't even trust their teenagers with a car and let alone raising and holding God in the universe. She goes, okay, let's do this. Then an angel appears to Joseph and says, Joseph, listen, I know it's crazy. I know it's crazy. Mary, she's pregnant and it's what's conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. She'd not cheat on you. She'd not have an affair. He says, Joseph, you need to know this. What's in her is of God. Believe this. And I just want you to think about the absolute insanity of kind of the story what's happening. I mean, you think about joseph and mary getting on a donkey you think about the idea of uh, caesar saying listen everyone needs to go back to their hometown wherever you're born from wherever you're from go back and be registered and god put it in the heart of caesar to have everyone go back to their home joseph being from bethlehem he goes okay we have going to leave nazareth and go to bethlehem and they travel 90 miles on a donkey while mary's full term and somehow she's like at peace with this now my wife's seven months pregnant um and i love her very much i'm so proud of her i don't know if her attitude God's. Colleagues for me to do like ninety miles like that'd be very tough very intense and, and it's funny because sometimes we have this a picture of the christmas story if you, if you think about it we all have like a little nativity scene at our house or we think of a nativity scene and we go oh my gosh it was silent night it was holy night all was so calm and you think about like, the animals that like, gathered around looking at jesus in this trough and right and think about, like, just those shepherds being there we like present it as like three blind mice like seeing a choir You're like that was not it all right that was not the case at all it was madness I mean, you think about even the angel saying to the shepherds, the sign from heaven will be what? That the God of the universe will be in a disgusting manger. And think about that. The sign that you're going to look for, is you're going to find the creator of all things, not in a palace, but in a feeding trough. You're going to find him in a manger. And right away, we learned so much about Jesus and his coming. That he's coming lowly. he's coming to serve, he's coming to really be the sacrifice for mankind. We see that Jesus came not to be served, but to serve. And we learn so much about Jesus and his coming and what he's doing just simply through his birth. Simply through the humility of his birth. Through the circumstances of this. And I, I want you to think about His parents, just, just for a second, if you have kids. Imagine looking at your kids and going, like, kids, we have the greatest gift for you of all time. But go into the roads in the gutter. Go get it. It's in the gutter. Get it right now. Like, it doesn't make sense. The greatest gift of all is found in this major. And, and this, all of these circumstances... The angels appearing to so many. Caesar making this decree. All of this is really God the Spirit at work preparing people for the coming of Jesus. I mean, you see the Holy Spirit's fingerprints all over the story, if you have fingerprints. But you see it all over the story. And that's what I want to look at because I think sometimes when we talk about the Christmas story, we can talk about Jesus, we can talk about God the Father, but what was the Holy Spirit's involvement like? What did he do? How did he move? How did he prepare hearts? And so I want to kind of look at this in three stages, all right? So I want to look at this as... How the Holy Spirit was involved in the virgin birth of Christ, thousands of years before even Mary existed. I wanna look at specifically how the virgin or how the Holy Spirit was involved in the birth of Christ, in the conception of Christ, with the virgin birth. And then I want to look at after, after Jesus was born, what was the Holy Spirit doing? How is he moving and preparing hearts? Now in light of my upbringing we're gonna change some of the points instead of Holy Spirit, we're about the Holy Ghost. And in light of it being Christmas, we're gonna use Charles Dickens' points. Here's what we're gonna look at today. Uh we're gonna look at the first three points. The Holy Ghost of Christmas pass. All right, so don't judge me. Uh, The Holy Ghost of Christmas present, and the Holy Ghost of Christmas future. Here's the idea. I really want you to see this. I was going to try to do this anyways in three parts. My God, this fits way better. Uh, But the Holy Ghost of Christmas past, the prophecies. The Holy Ghost of Christmas present, the conception. And the Holy Ghost of Christmas future, just the presentation of Jesus. And I want to see just the Holy Spirit's involvement in this whole Christmas story. Because again, it's so necessary for us to see how the Trinity was at work in the birth of Christ, and we can talk about why does that even matter. So we'll look at that. All right, let's do that. First point: uh, the Holy Ghost. You can say, "Hold on, The Holy Ghost of Christmas Past. The prophecies. Where do we see this? What does the Bible say about this? What do you mean the Spirit is a part of these prophecies? Here's a verse for you: Second Peter chapter one verse twenty. If you want to write this down? Peter says this: Knowing this first, that no prophecy of Scripture is of any private ter- interpretation. These guys didn't make it up. prophecy never came by the will of men But holy men of God spoke As they were moved by the Holy Spirit Do you hear that? They didn't just make this stuff up Like, oh, let's just kind of give this detail Bethlehem, we'll throw that in there They didn't make this up He goes, they were moved by the Holy Spirit The Holy Spirit was preparing everyone for the birth of Christ And here's the first verse I want to throw at you And here's something maybe you've heard and know But it's so important I mean, right away Right after Adam and Eve sins Right after they disobeyed God Aided the tree of knowledge of good and evil God gives them a glimmer of hope God promises them. Read really, the virgin birth we see right away is in Genesis chapter 3, verse 15. The verse I'll throw it up here. You can read it. You can listen to this. God is speaking to the serpent, to Satan, and says, I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your seed and her seed. He shall bruise your head and you shall, brew, and you shall bruise his heel. All right, what is that? What does that saying? We call this the proto-evangelium. All right, this, this verse is called the proto-evangelium. You guys want to say with me? Proto-evangelium, Proto-evangelium. Proto-evangelium. Here's the idea. Proto-evangelium. First gospel. First gospel. This is the first gospel. This is literally considered by scholars as the first gospel mentioned in the entire Bible and it's right away. How is this the first gospel? Think about this. Let's look at this a couple different ways. There's a promise right away, right? When Adam and Eve sinned and fell and disobeyed God, God gives him hope. He goes, listen, you're going to die Right? You're going to work hard, Adam. You're going to, with Eve, you're going to give birth. There's, this is going to be hard. You disobey me, there's going to be some consequences. But, but, he goes, the seed of the woman will crush the head of the serpent. Now, here's what's kind of perplexed scholars for centuries. Before the birth of Jesus, they're going, What is the seed of the woman? What is that? What's the seed of the woman? Women don't have the seed. Adam's right there. He could have been like, Adam, your seed is going to crush. It's, no, he's saying, No, no. This offspring will come from Eve. Really the first glimmer of the virgin birth is it found in Genesis 3.15. What is the seed of the woman? It's really in reference to the virgin birth. This woman will have an offspring of her own, the seed of the woman, not the seed of the man. And this is so far, right away we see this. And the hope of this is what? Hey, I know sin is coming to the world, I know you disobeyed me, And but guess what? This seed of the woman is gonna come and crush the head of the serpent, crush the head of Satan, and in the process, his heel will be bruised. As he steps on the serpent's head, He's gonna hurt his heel a little bit. What does that reference to? It's the cross. See, at the cross, yes, Jesus suffered and he died, and you go, oh. you know, maybe for a moment hell felt like it won. Yes, Jesus died, but there's a side of this where it's like, no, in the process of Jesus dying, in the process, you could say this healed, being bruised, he ultimately crushed the head of Satan. First John three says Jesus has come to destroy the works of the devil. He already did that. See, I want you to see right away the first gospel, the first Christmas message. If you want to write this down, the first Christmas message is in Genesis three fifteen where God promises there will be the seed of the woman, and that is in reference to the virgin birth of Christ. And you're like, well, how do we really know that? There's another verse we have, right? It's Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14. It's used a lot around this time of year, but we'll throw it up here for you guys. It says this in Isaiah 7, Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign, and behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and shall call his name Emmanuel. I want you to hear this. The Holy Spirit was moving in people's and authors' hearts, Isaiah, to give this, to give this prophecy. God's like, I'm going to give mankind a sign one day. The virgin shall give birth to his son, and his name will be called Emmanuel. Now there are those who say, Oh no, a no, no. virgin here means young woman doesn't really mean virgin. That's how. Here's my question: How is it a sign? How is God saying, Let me give you a sign. Uh, a young woman's going to give birth. Uh, that happened a lot. That's not a sign. What makes this unique is that this is a virgin, someone who has not had sex, someone who's not consummated yet the marriage. He says this will be the sign. She'll give birth to a son. And guess what his name is? His name is actually God with us. His name is Emmanuel. God is with us. And we see God is really preparing the hearts of men not too far after this. And just a couple verses later, a couple chapters later, in Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6, we see even more specifically. Look at Isaiah 9, verse 6. It says this, we'll throw it up. It says, For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government will be upon his shoulder, and his name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Who is this child? That is born. Who is this son that's given? And the description is he will be called mighty God. This child, this child that's going to be born, this son that's gonna be given one day, his title will be called mighty God. God is not gonna share his glory with anyone. Jesus is God in the flesh. We see Jesus come on the scene, and he is this child that was born, the son that was given. We see him fulfilling Isaiah 7:14, Genesis 3:15, Isaiah 9, verse 6, this is Jesus. The Holy Spirit, for not just thousands of years and centuries, but he's just been preparing mankind. For this promised Messiah Who would crush the head of the serpent Who would one day come and be that Wonderful counselor, that mighty God That everlasting Father, that Prince of Peace, that's Jesus And not only this, this is what I love About description in general, God gets More and more specific, God says you want to know Where he's going to come from, do you want to know where he's Going to be born, and he tells us this Wonderful prophecy in Micah chapter 5 verse 2 As we walk through this, Micah 5 verse 2 Listen to this, again you know this, but he says But you Bethlehem Ephrathah Though you are little among the thousands of Judah, yet out of you shall come forth to be, listen, the one to be ruler in Israel, whose goings forth are from, of old, from everlasting. Amen. Hear that. He says, out of you, Bethlehem, is going to come the ruler of Israel, and his goings forth are from old and from everlasting, and he has no beginning. Even though he's born, he has no beginning. Do you understand that for Jews, Orthodox Jews today do not believe the Messiah would be God? They don't. And yet, we see this prophecy even say, no, no. no. The one who's be ruler, he's everlasting. He has no beginning, he has no end, he's self-existent. And yet there was a day he entered her earth and it was born. And so here's what we see. Here's what I want you guys to think about. Bethlehem and why Bethlehem. Think about how Athens at this time was the cultural capital of the world. Rome was the political capital, capital of the world. Jerusalem was the religious capital of the world. And Jesus was born in other cities. He was born in Bethlehem. He's not born in a palace with a queen. He's born in a manger with a poor peasant, you could say. This is Jesus, the way he came. And the Holy Spirit is setting all this up. And you see from the very beginning, right when Adam and Eve sent, he's like, I'm preparing the hearts of people for the coming of the Messiah. And even in the Gospel of Luke, I don't know if we've mentioned this yet, but even in Luke, when the angel appeared to Zechariah and says, you're going to have a son, and he's going to prepare the way for the Messiah, he said, the Holy Spirit will be in your son. It's Luke chapter 1, verse 15, you can hear this or read this. He will be filled with the Holy Spirit, even from his mother's womb. Remember the first time Mary and Elizabeth saw each other? It says in Luke 1, verse 41, it says, and it happened when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, listen, that the babe, that John the Baptist, leaped in a room, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. Then she spoke out with a loud voice and said, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. Yeah. I mean, from the very beginning, the Holy Spirit is preparing all this. He's moving the authors to say, Hey, write, write Bethlehem. Hey, write it's going to be a virgin. Hey, give hope that this Messiah will crush the head of the serpent, that will crush the head of Satan. He's just constantly moving. Hey, Zechariah, your son's going to be filled with the Holy Spirit, even in the womb. That is amazing. I'm praying for that for our daughter as she comes, like, God, fill her from the womb. Like, let her know you from the womb. We said, when, when Elizabeth hears Mary's voice, she's filled with the Holy Spirit. Here's my point. We see the Holy Spirit is so active and involved in the story of Christmas, amen? He's moving, he's at work. So we looked at our first point, the Holy Ghost of Christmas past, and now we to the Holy Ghost of Christmas present. All right, the Holy Ghost number two, the Holy Ghost of Christmas present, the conception. Here's what I want you to see. Mary has a question that we all ask. The angel goes, Mary, you're going to give birth to, to God of the universe, and she goes, uh, how? I am a virgin, I have not had sex yet, how does that work? here's the angel's response. It's Luke chapter 1, verse 35. The angel says to her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the highest will overshadow you. Therefore also, that Holy One who is be born will be called the Son of God. Now let me just kind of, let's talk about this for a second. Um, the Bible doesn't tell us necessarily how biologically or scientifically this happens. It doesn't tell us how. Just notice, the Bible doesn't always tell us how, but it tells us who. So this is a, here's how it's gonna happen. Let's write about. It's just says, "Here's who it's gonna be. God's gonna be a part She's gonna be filled with God." And this is so important for us. I mean, this is so important. The, the idea of Jesus being born of a virgin. You guys, let me just say this: it's a non-negotiable for us. If there's somebody who says, "Like, oh, Jesus might not have been born of, uh, Jesus might not have been born of a virgin," we say, "No heresy." Like, this is not a small doctrine for us. This is so we so believe this that Jesus was born of a virgin. And we'll, and we'll say why in a second. Why does that matter? But I think there's certain thoughts we have today about this, right? I think a lot of people today go, well, it makes sense that 2,000 years ago people would believe this. They'd believe anything back then. I mean, you could tell them anything, they were superstitious people, but today, today we are more progressive, today we're more logical, more scientific in our approach. There's no way this could happen. Let me just say this. Mary at first goes, um, that's great, but how? Right? There's like, in a sense, something that I from like, oh, this, I believe this promise, but I just, can you tell me how this is going to happen? Like, I went to see him with her at first. Like, this is like, this is great. I just don't, help me understand this. And let me just say this, by the way. I've talked to people who say, I don't believe in Christianity because of, of the virgin birth. That, I can't believe you believe that nonsense. My question, my kind of commoner thought is this. If you believe there's a God who spoke the world into existence, it's a walk in the park to believe in the virgin birth. Right. right? It's like, if I, I believe. First of all, I don't believe something comes from nothing. I believe we see this intelligent design because of an intelligent creator. And so we see that God is the creator of all things. So for him to speak the word of like earth be be earth, there's earth, stars are star okay, this virgin birth is just easy it's easy, when someone says I have a difficulty with believing the virgin birth, I'm like no, your difficulty is maybe your God is too small my God is big enough to do the virgin birth it's not difficult for him, like oh this is gonna I get to break my own laws that I created, how do I do that like no, he he created the whole laws of nature he can do whatever he wants, (laughs) he can intervene whenever he wants and we see that again, there's there's this kind of doubt with Mary, like okay, this is great, but how and and I still think today God addresses those questions in our heart, like okay Christians, you believe this, but how Listen, again, we don't always get the how, but we get the who. He says, the Holy Spirit will come upon her. And I, and I love this phrase at the end. I think it's in verse 37. He says, but with God, with God, nothing will be impossible. See, here's the key for us. With God, nothing's impossible. I, I want you to hear this, not just in light of the Christmas virgin birth story. But I want you to hear this. With God, nothing's impossible. This is giving Mary that hope of, okay, I believe this. That's true. If God can create the world, he can... Make me have a give birth to a son, born of a virgin, you can do that. With God, nothing is impossible. You know, some of you might be here this morning and those five words of nothing is impossible with God. So maybe those are the words you see here today. That with God nothing is impossible. And you feel like I can't break this, this area of sin in my life, I can't get over it. With God nothing's impossible. The circumstances in my life right now are just overwhelming me. Mm-hmm. The loss of a loved one, this Christmas season is, is painful. It's miserable. How can I enjoy it? How can I enjoy anything about this? With God, nothing is impossible. There, I think this season does bring a lot of pain for many of us. I think we acknowledge that? We sing about joy a lot, but I think we also remind it of those who are not here with us this Christmas. We're reminded of a lot of other things that are happening, and we go, God, my heart grieves. My heart, my heart hurts, and I'm so thankful that we have Emmanuel, God with us. God does not just give us a doctrine and say, Hey, believe this, you'll feel better. It's not just that. God gives us a person. Can we just celebrate that for a fact? That God is not just saying, I know you're in pain, but two plus two is four. Don't you feel better? Like, it's not just some information out there or some doctrine out there. God's when I know you're in pain. I know, I know you're hurting right now, but Emmanuel. Amen. But God is with you. And there's a sign of the Christmas story where God is saying, nothing's impossible. Nothing's impossible. This virgin birth story, the Holy Spirit's involvement, God's like, that's peace piece of cake. With God, nothing's impossible. Now, here's my question. Why does that matter? All right, like, think about this. Why does it matter that the Holy Spirit's involved in the birth of Jesus? Why does it matter? Like, why are we talking about the Holy Spirit in Christmas? Why does that matter? Why does the virgin birth matter? And here's what I understand. Without the Holy Spirit, there's no virgin birth. Without the virgin birth, Jesus cannot be fully God and fully man. Right. And there's so many other issues with this. Let me just one point to you guys. i got mean, it. John Piper said it this way. He said, there would have been no incarnation of the Son of God without the Holy Spirit. The Spirit was the one who caused the conception of Jesus in the womb of the Virgin. I already right, know that. But why, again, why does that matter? The idea of we, that word that, that incarnation, what the heck is that? Okay, here's the idea. When we use that word, if you ever hear someone say the incarnation, the idea is God became a man. Think about it this way: it's literally God took on flesh. Think incarnation, carne. Carne, saw that, right? Oh, I'm hungry. Good. But think carne. literally the platinum of that is meat. Here's the idea: God took on meat. That's literally what it's saying. God took on flesh. God put on meat, God put on flesh. And so here's why this is so important for us. We are reclaiming something huge. Do you understand what we're claiming? Because of the Holy Spirit, Mary can give birth as a virgin. Because Jesus was born a virgin, He is fully God and fully man—not fifty percent God, fifty percent man. He's fully God, fully man. Why does He need two natures? Let's let's think through this and talk through this. In the beginning, like we talked about, when God created Adam and Eve, and Adam and Eve ate of the tree of knowledge of good and evil, and they sinned, They turned their back against God, and God is like, "Give you the seed that will crush into the, the servant, Right? All that. When you look at that story, in Adam came sin. We passed sin down over and over again. I know a lot of us are still bitter at Adam for that, but we just pass sin down. There's a verse in 1 Corinthians 15 22. It says, In Adam, all die. In Adam, all die. But in Christ, all shall be made alive. Here's the idea we pass on our sin nature, really, because our parents were full of sin. Sin corrupted them, sin came into their lives. The world fell because of sin, and sins pass on and on and on and on. And he says, Listen, if your father's of Adam, you have sin. But Jesus' father's not of Adam, Jesus does not have an earthly father. Jesus' father is God the Father. Jesus born of the Holy Spirit, born of a virgin. Because Jesus does not have Adam as his father, Jesus has no sin. Jesus is sinless. We know that Jesus is the one who, who could come to this world fully God, not having an earthly father, and yet have an earthly mother is fully man. And so meaning he can understand what it's like to be tired and weak and hungry. He knows what it's like to lose a loved one. He knows what it's like to go through suffering and pain. See, we have Jesus who's that perfect not just blend, because it's different than that. He's 100% God, 100% man. And as God, he can pay for the sins of the world. As man, he can relate to us. You know, Romans chapter 5, verse 12, listen to this. Just, We'll throw it up here. It says, For if because of one man's trespass, Adam's sin, death reigned through that one man, much more will those who receive the abundance and the free gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. He goes, if death came through Adam, life will come through Jesus. You see, man brought sin to the world, and man also paid for sin. Adam fell, Adam sinned, but Jesus, who is the God-man, who is fully God, fully man, as the man, as God as the God-man, can also pay for the sin of the world. Man sinned, man set, fell, but man also redeemed in the person of Jesus, who also happened to be fully God. See, it is so necessary for us to believe in the virgin birth, that Jesus, fully God, fully man, that Jesus can relate to us in ways we still don't, I don't think we fully get. That he can't sympathize with us in our weakness. Because he was tempted in all as we are, yet without sin. And yet, again, he's also fully God. He's the one who can say, listen, my blood is eternal. Though you might have to kill a lamb or goat over and over again, my blood's eternal. When my blood was shed, it eternally paid for the sin of the world. I don't, no, there doesn't need to be another lamb or goat. Their blood is not Eternal. That's why we're constantly offering lambs and goats, lambs and... and then Jesus came. And when Jesus came, he goes, no, no you, sh- you shed my blood, my-, my blood's good forever. I'm the one from everlasting. I am the mighty God. I'm the Prince of Peace. You see, we see the Holy Spirit's involvement is so key, because that's how Mary can give birth as a virgin, and we see that's how Jesus fully got and fully man. Amen? So we see the Holy Ghost of Christmas past working through people, preparing the way, we see him working in the birth of Jesus. And now I want to look at last like After the birth of Jesus, the Holy Spirit was still telling the Christmas story, was still working and moving. And so look if you were at Luke chapter 2, verse 25. Turn like one page over. Luke chapter 2, verse 25 is the story of Simeon. And it's a great story. And I want to just read it fully and we'll look at this. But number three, the Holy Ghost of Christmas future. All right, Luke 2, verse 25. It says this. And behold, there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. And this man was just and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit <laughs> was upon him. And it had been revealed to Simeon by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. So he came by the Spirit, <laughs> Did you see, my Spirit, Spirit, Spirit. He came by the Spirit into the temple, and when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law, he took him up in his arms. He picked up Jesus <laughs> as a baby, it's so cool, and he blessed God and said, "Lord." Now you are letting your servant depart in peace According to your word For my eyes have seen your salvation Which you have prepared Before the face of all peoples A light to bring revelation to the Gentiles That's us And the glory of your people Israel And Joseph and his mother marveled At those things which were spoken of him Then Simeon blessed them And said to Mary's mother Behold, this child is destined For the fall and rising of many in Israel And for a sign which will be spoken which the first I want to be spoken against. Yes, a sword will pierce through your own soul also, that the thoughts of many hearts, listen, that the thoughts of many hearts may be revealed. Here's a guy named Simeon, who is promised by the Holy Spirit, you're not going to die until you see the Messiah. And and really, I want you to understand, there's a a lot of people, there's a group of people that were looking for the coming of Jesus. They knew the prophecies in Daniel 7, 7, 8, 9. They knew the prophecies of Micah. They're ready. They're going, where's the Messiah? Where is he? He should be here any day now. I mean, there are people who study the law, that study the Bible, and they go, shouldn't he be here soon? And there's a guy named Simeon, who's ready for this, and the Spirit says, listen, you're not going to die until you see the Lord. Now, Jesus, at eight days old, was brought to the temple to get circumcised, and you can read that, just like every good, you know, good parents, Mary and Joseph, they bring him to the temple to get him circumcised, and right when Simeon sees him, he goes, this is the Messiah, and he holds him and says, this is salvation. Here are my hands is the savior of the world. And Mary and Joseph were just watching, listening to what is going on still. I still wonder if there's just so much like in their mind, they're just trying to process everything. And here's what I want you to see, listen, the Holy Spirit prepared Simeon for the coming of Jesus. And I so believe that the Holy Spirit is still preparing people for the coming of Jesus. Amen. The Holy Spirit still is moving and saying, believe in Jesus, you know he's the answer. Believe in Jesus, you know you're not gonna be satisfied until you believe in him. That you need Jesus, you need Jesus before you taste death, before you see death. And I believe he's still moving through people's hearts saying, Receive Jesus. Believe in Jesus. We've shared this verse early on in our series on the Holy Spirit. But it's John 15, 26. And he says, When the Helper, when the Holy Spirit comes, he'll testify of me. When God's Spirit comes, Jesus goes, When I die and ascend into heaven, I'm going to send you the Holy Spirit. And when he comes, guess what he's going to do? He's going to talk about me. He's going to point people to me. He's going to say, Believe in Jesus. Look to Jesus. Can I tell you, that's what the Holy Spirit's still doing. Here we are in 2018. And I, I believe in many of your lives. I know many of you personally have seen your story and heard your story where God's Spirit was saying, you need Jesus, believe in Jesus, surrender to Jesus, you need Jesus. Even right now, maybe you don't believe in Jesus. And God's Spirit is still moving saying, you know you need this. You know you need Jesus. You know you need him. You know he's the answer. You know he's the hope of the world. You know that there's too many prophecies that proclaim this. It just It fits even the timeline back then. You know, believe in Jesus, receive Jesus. And God's Spirit is still at work. There's a verse that I want to even share today. When I say the Holy Ghost of Christmas future, there's a verse in 1 Corinthians 12.3 I feel like fits this really well. Here's the verse. 1 Corinthians 12, verse 3, it says, Paul says, So I want you to know that no one speaking by the Spirit of God will curse Jesus, and no one can say Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. If you say out loud, Jesus is Lord, there's that idea of not just saying it, but you believe it in your heart, as Romans 10.9 says. If you confess with your mouth that jesus is lord and you believe in your heart that god raised him from the dead you'll be saved that's the holy spirit saying that if you're saying jesus is lord that's god's spirit saying jesus is lord those words come down our lips the spirit that's just saying that jesus is lord he's lord he's christ he's the messiah the lord and he's come and he's coming and how the holy spirit is still preparing people's hearts for the second coming of jesus to look to jesus but here's the thing this christmas maybe you just need to believe in the first coming maybe you just need to believe in the fact that god did come his name was Jesus. He was God with us. And if you believe on him, you will be saved. If you trust in him and look to him, you will be saved. As Simeon held a baby and goes, this is salvation, you can also look at Jesus and say, this is salvation. Because I believe in him, though I die, I will live. Because Jesus is Lord. And you can only say that of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit's moving. You off to say, Jesus is Lord. That's the Spirit speaking. Inside of you, through you, to just believe that, affirm that. Listen, if you've never said that, say that. If you've never believed that, your heart's going, I, I think I believe that. Can I tell you this? Trust in that. Trust in Jesus as your Lord, as your Savior, as your God. Surrender that truth to him. The Holy Spirit was at work back then, was at work in the conception, was at work the Sydney, but he's still at work today. He's still moving in the hearts of men and women today saying, believe on Jesus and you'll be saved. And you know this. You know this in your heart of hearts that not enough drugs or alcohol or sex or partying or job, or career, or money, power, any of those games will never fully satisfy the, the cry and the hunger of your heart, and that is Jesus. And that is Jesus saying, I was, you were made by me and for me. And you're not going to find satisfaction until you trust in me and rest in me. And that's the Holy Spirit still at work, making Christmas real today. Amen. I'm going to ask you, if you don't know Jesus, believe in Jesus, surrender to Jesus, confess him as your Lord today. What a wonderful gift, in a sense, you get to God. The greatest gift of all time is Jesus. He's the greatest gift ever given. That's what we celebrate. As we open up gifts, I'm telling my son, as we open up gifts, I'm like, hey, see so this gift? It's nothing compared to Jesus, right? Like, that's all we're trying to do. It's like, oh, this is cool. But it's nothing compared to you. You're just constantly trying to say the greatest gift of all is Jesus. And the gift that Jesus <laughs> wants is just you. He just wants you. He wants your life. He wants, your, he wants everything about you. I want to pray. We're going to end with some worship. And with some closing thoughts. And then we'll uh, hopefully see you guys tomorrow. But let me just pray right now over this time. And uh, then we're going to worship for a little bit. And we'll share some uh, last-minute thoughts with you guys. Father, we just want to thank you. We thank you that you sent your Son. And Jesus, we thank you that you sent the Holy Spirit. God, we thank you that you are still at work in our lives. That God, it's not just in the past. It's not just some old story that doesn't relate. But still today, God, your Spirit's at work. And so, Lord, I just pray for everyone in this room, my, my heart included, Jesus, we want to be reminded and refreshed by the truth that you are Lord, that you are Emmanuel, that you are God with us, that, Lord, when we are suffering or in pain, God, it's not that we're left alone and here's some truth, believe it, but, God, you're literally with us, that you, you're your person, you're with us. We thank you. God, I thank you for the work of the Holy Spirit, not just in the birth and life of Jesus, but in the birth and the life of the church. There is no church without the Holy Spirit birthing us, making us new, making us born again. We thank you so much, God, for your spirit. And we're just here to worship you, to sing to you, to remember Emmanuel, to remember, God, that you are with us. So we thank you and we praise you now in your wonderful name, Jesus. Amen.